Good morning and welcome to Attitude Adjustment, our 12th and final, sadly, yeah. episode. It's a great number to stop on, though. It, it is. It's, it is. It's a nice even dozen, which mm-hmm. is which is kind of exciting. And uh, we've produced officially like a full egg carton full of, I don't know, great mm-hmm. breakfast food for thought. Six hours worth of content. Well, it's pretty pretty decent. Yeah. It's, we should have started this three years ago. But True. Yeah, True. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my gosh, what it would have been Can three years. Can you imagine? I can't. <laughs> We would like hate each other probably by the end of that process. Oh my lord! Um, so if you're just joining us for the 12th episode, you have no idea what you have missed. How did you find us? Oh my! <laughs> um, but but if you did just find us, you should go back and and take a look at the archives and and work your way into this final episode. Uh, I'm Andrea, and I am the boomer. Um, I've got a PhD, and uh, that's. Relevant to today's conversation, um, I'm not sure exactly what that PhD gets you other than, I don't know, some job security in a really great profession. But it doesn't make me a heck of a lot smarter than the average Joe on the street, I don't think. Mm. Well, I am Zachary Schmidt. I am the millennial, and I am one day away from having a bachelor's degree. A bachelor's degree. One day. Less than, tw- no, a little bit more than 24 hours. Yeah, we still got to sit through the whole ceremony hours, there. So there's still a way to sabotage this if I choose to do oh. so. Um, but yeah, Zach, I mean, congratulations. Mm. This is this is a big step forward. So I have to just ask you, uh, any more feelings uh, at this point about the value of this last four years in your life? Mm. I think... And we talked a little bit about this last episode, talking about the network. We just went last night on a bar crawl where just our basically our senior class and a few miscellaneous people um, went from bar to bar. But it was kind of interesting to see the amount of people, like just in my my senior class that I've interacted with over the four years and the connection that we've oddly built through, whether it's a class or organization or just one event. And so that's quite exciting to think about is just the network that I've built and the people that I may or may not run into in the near future. Um, I don't know. I'm still a little depressed about the fact that I can't get a job. <laughs> it's not the magic key. It is not the magic key that they try to – I don't know. I feel like – Zach, some... let's, let's be completely clear here. How hard have you worked to get a job in the last month? You and I both agreed that you were headed out to Los Angeles after all of this, and that was really when the job search was going to hey, kick into high gear. About about 25 applications. That's that's a decent amount already put in. But you and I also talked about the fact uh, a few weeks ago that you kind of have to be there yeah. to be door knocking. And, 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 I'm uh, homeless in a week, <laughs> and it's not working. I'm going to call you up and say, you told me this would work. No. Yeah. I mean yeah. – it the four years have been awesome, and I think I'm now at this state of like really, really, really happy just due to the fact that we kind of had that like overall bonding last night, and so it's, it's, it's exciting. I guess would be the best thing to do. I said we'll break that down a little bit more as we go along. All right, okay. So, <laughs> so this is the second of two episodes in attitude adjustment, um, exploring the idea of uh, what is the value of uh, a college education. Uh, how do we measure that? What do, what do we even talk about? Uh, and there's so many different related issues in the news these days that are making big headlines uh, f- from financial aid issues to um, student debt to whether or not a gap year is valuable to 
generally speaking, this whole concept of what is quality of life, mm -hmm. uh, that happiness and health issue associated. So there's so many issues, and we are very excited to welcome to our last episode um, a man I have enormous respect for, uh, um, Michael France. He is the vice president for enrollment here at Buena Vista University. Um, Michael, I wonder if you could just say hi to our attitude adjustment audience and uh, talk a little bit about how long you've been in this business. Well, thank you. Glad to be here to have my attitude completely adjusted. <laughs> uh, been in the business, golly, since 1989. So you do the math there. Uh, about half my life so far has been in the uh, business of helping students choose the next step after high school or transitioning from uh, a different college to the one I'm employed at. So you were actually 12 years old in 1989. If this, you're talking about half your life. Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> Don't want to see the rings on my tree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there are places I could take that, but um, <laughs> we're not going to do that. Um, you know, as we talk a little bit about some of the issues associated with uh, valuing a, a higher education, um, Michael, I wonder if you could talk just briefly about when someone asks you, is higher education really a worthwhile investment? How do you respond to that? A, a prospective parent, a prospective student, how do you respond to what that value actually is? Yeah, I, I kind of come at it a couple different directions. Earning a college degree has enormous benefit, but it doesn't, that benefit doesn't appear without effort. And so let me try to explain that just a little bit. You know, we can talk about increased salary earnings, the fact that um, those with college degrees tend to be happier, healthier, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and those, those are all kind of measurable, tangible things. Um, I think it, it, it gives a lot of intangibles, which are things like confidence and uh, some of those softer skills of critical thinking and persuasive speaking and what have you that will help throughout all facets of life. But I think what gets lost in the conversation often is that it doesn't just get handed to you. It has to come through effort and challenge and uh, struggle and all of that. And part of that, I think, is why you see dropout rates at, at the rates that we do. Um, let me stop there and see how you guys wish to respond. Mm -hmm. Zach, I mean, he mentions the the dropout rate. Have you seen some of your peers? Moved up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, too, because I work at the Technology Help Desk on campus, and we used to offer laptops, and so they would be basically required to stop by my desk before they left. And so I would see... You know, you just like see at the end of the semester people pouring to that desk just, oh, I'm going to this place or, oh, you know, I'm going to go back work at my dad's like business and things like that. And now I'm not like judging them for that. But some of those cases, I also look at those people and be like, that's because you came in thinking that this would this was easy. Um, and I know also you see people people leave because there's this I think there's this time dedication you have to give to college you know four years when uh, you hear all these like crazy success stories where oh this guy dropped out I mean like think about the the big names especially in the tech field like that are like oh they dropped out of college and life went perfectly for them and I and that's that's where I think you do have to offer that level of effort um, that he was just talking about if I mean if you can do it independently I suppose you can do it but 
Um, there's a lot of people that need that that guidance for at least four years to push forward. Michael, any response to that? I, you're, you're absolutely right. People like to point to the Bill Gateses or whoever of the world, mm. you know, the one-tenth of one-tenth of <laughs> one percenters who made it mm. as opposed to the vast majority who, who dropped out and for whom college was not a good investment, mm. frankly. And we can maybe get into that uh, a, a little bit more. College is a a place where it, a safe place to fail. And some people don't always grasp that, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, you can try new, new stuff here, and it can blow up on you, and you're encouraged to try again. Mm-hmm. Do that in the workplace sometimes, <laughs> and maybe it's a different experience. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. we actually said that, the exact same thing, that, that this is kind of like a little vacuum of ideas that you can fail, and, and it really... And there's it, a safety yeah, net. Yeah, and there's so many people that will help you fix anything that is actually technically broken through that. So this this idea of sort of the safety to fail and, and also people who come and, and sort of realize that that investment of time and energy and, and, you know, blood, sweat, and tears kind of thing isn't really for them and, and who end up stopping out or dropping out, um, that's, a, that's an important idea, but it's one that sort of makes me want to segue to um, – an issue that just has re- recently been making a lot of headlines, and, and that is um, Malia Obama, the president's daughter, just announced, the White House just announced that she was ultimately going to take this coming year, a gap year. Um, this concept of the gap year hasn't really been talked about a whole lot, but, you know, once the president's daughter does it, then then it becomes yeah. a big deal, right? Uh, and we start talking a little bit about that. Um, a May 5th editorial in the Des Moines Register argued that such a choice could indeed help college success. So I'm going to quote directly from this editorial. About 30% of students who start college in the fall, started college in the fall of 2013 did not return to any U.S. college in the fall of 2014. So that's getting at our first issue, right, that we just talked about. Um, according to the most recent data from the National Student Clearinghouse Research Center. So nearly one in three students doesn't go forward uh, if they start right away. They didn't transfer to another school. They didn't go back. Um, In Iowa, only about 40% of students who enter a four-year public college uh, graduate in four years. Less than 70% graduate in six years. The argument here that the register is making is maybe a gap year is, in fact, a pretty useful thing, that it could give someone a little bit of breathing room to sort of figure things out. I'm kind of curious, though, uh, about that way of thinking because I wonder how many people opt for a gap year and then just never start, mm-hmm. never go. Um, Michael, what are you seeing in, in this in this arena? Well, <laughs> I think we have to begin with uh, the, the easy fact that Ms. Obama is not your stereotypical <laughs> person. Uh, And I mean no disrespect there whatsoever, but it's a family of means and a highly educated family Mm. and one that's leaving the White House and probably wants a little separation for her before she heads off to college. Mm -hmm. Those who take the the intended gap year tend to be from the highest socioeconomic status families. That's, That's really where the term gap year comes from. Now, there's plenty of people who take gap years, to your point, Andrea, who maybe wish to enter the workforce first under the plan to save up money to go to college. And Mm -hmm. the cold, hard facts are 
not many of them ultimately then head to college, at least on the intended timeline. We see a lot of these students in our sites, in our online site and graduate programs, where the average age is 30 years old, and a lot of those individuals did what you just described for whatever life reasons, and that is not go right off to college, and then life interfered. It was too good to have that paycheck coming in, and Mm -hmm. you don't want to see that stop, or uh, marriage and family began, or any number of things, and getting on to college became a harder choice than if one just simply continued on with their education straight out of uh, high school. That was the, I think that was the big problem that, because we we talked about whether I would do a gap year, and I always thought uh, I would get too comfortable. And now I come from a lower income family, like a decently low income family. And so it would make sense for me to do the whole, you know, work for a little bit and then have enough money to go into college. Um, but I knew I'd get too comfortable. I knew I'd do exactly what it would. I'd get a paycheck, I'd like it, or I'd really fall in love with my job, or, uh, oh, my high school friends are still here, so life is good. And then all of a sudden I'm not going back, you know, and then I'm or I'm going to, like, an online program that isn't, I don't know, it isn't mm-hmm. a sit-down. And then there's the fear factor if you've been out for a while. Oh, my gosh, how much information have I mm-hmm. have I lost? Do I know how to study anymore? Where do I go with like these 18-year-olds, and I'm 23. Right. and Exactly. I don't fit in. People mm-hmm. don't look like me anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I also I also think, Zach, I, I have a hard time envisioning you being comfortable. I don't know. May, maybe you would have been um, in an online program. Um, oh, I, I hate online programs. You're so Sorry. Much, you're, so much, you're so much into the people yeah. face-to-face thing. That I could see the intimidation. If you're 25 years old and going to college for the first time, in spite of the fact that you really are a people person, I cannot imagine how that could have worked for you. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I think you would have just probably said no. No, um, I, I would have been unbelievably unsuccessful because, I mean, I took a few online classes in high school. And, I mean, this is another topic on, on college in general, but, like, I can't. I'm. I think they're for special people that have the ability. I'm not surprisingly as weird as it sounds. I'm not very self motivated when I have no one there to keep me fully accountable. Like, oh, you got to keep moving. I'm not interested in like getting ahead. I'm interested in just like moving one step at a time. And so, man, I took those online classes, and I'm just like, I don't even feel like I have to do it. Like, I just there's no in, there's no interest. There's no reward. Like when I'm in in like a sit down class. You know, if I do something right, like, we get to talk about it. We get to talk about the successes of it. In an online class, you just read, like, three words, and they're like, great job, 10 points, you know. Oh, it's, yeah, I wouldn't have been. And I also would have felt, I feel like I would have felt weird as a 25-year-old coming into, like, I mean, even speaking as BV. Like, I know we have, um, like, I think at 23, isn't D23 or something, Reason or Thompson? Yeah, there's a handful of what would be termed Mm non-traditional students and. 23 would maybe be on the low end of some, mm-hmm. of, some of the students we have. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about, have you like have you ever personally encountered any, is it difficult or has any knowledge that you have on a non-trad? To be a, to be a non-trad? Yeah. I've never been a non-trad, so right. I don't know. Right. Well, but you, Andrew, you've taught in the in, uh, online site mm-hmm. programs mm-hmm. and you've had non-traditional students. And in many respects, I've heard you and others report that in many ways they are much more motivated uh, than the traditional enough, yes. age student uh, and not unusual. And it ties into exactly what we're talking about here, that when you, 
when college is not just kind of the next step or the expectation post high school, mm-hmm. and you've had uh, a series of lessons in the school of hard knocks, you come back to college with a different set of expectations and motivations at mm-hmm. times that can be not only motivating for that individual, but frankly motivating for the professors who have a very engaged student or group of students who have a different set of motivators. Mm-hmm. I will say that um, I had a student um, a number of years ago who emerged as truly one of the very best journalism students I ever had in my entire career. He did take a, a gap year. He worked for his father, who was a caterer, um, and he did so because he felt like he needed to sort of explore for a year what it was to just earn some money and get focused and realized in that gap year that while he did not want to go into the catering business <laughs> um, and came into school then a year older than everyone else. And I think he was kind of a year older anyway. So he was two years older, I think, than most of the freshmen. And as a result, I think, of that gap year, he was so motivated to get as much out of his college education as he possibly could. Now, that's a that's sort of a microcosm of what you're talking about, Michael. I have worked with a lot of non, non-trads, and I would say that my adult students have a tendency to be far more focused, motivated, because they understand that this is their shot uh, at the education. There's that, and there's maturity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The, I've often said, and probably incorrectly, but that <laughs> those four years that a student matures in college may be the most rapid maturity rate beyond the first four years of life. Mm-hmm. And cycling back to what we said before, when you're able to do it in the safe confines of a college, that's one thing. If you're doing it out in the quote-unquote real world, that's another thing, I think. Mm-hmm. And I would I would add to that, Zach, I mean, just to put it sort of backing into your court, um, think about how different you are now than you were when you were a freshman in that first class with me, and you were absolutely convinced that no one read. Mm-hmm. Um, no one either. reads anymore. No, I think those those were words right out of your oh. mouth that will haunt you forever yeah, with Yeah, might me. as well get them tattooed so I right? don't forget them. Because uh, <laughs> y- you you made this, this audacious claim, mm-hmm. um, and you were so sure of yourself, so cocky uh, with respect to what you knew about the world. And if I've seen any change in you, and I've seen a lot of change in you in the last four years, mm-hmm. it's that you are no longer now absolutely unequivocally sure of everything um, <laughs> and that's a sign of change and maturity i think yeah <clears throat> of course of course you're in a situation where you can't you you can't truly truly fail and mess up the world but i did notice um you get a lot of you you get to choose who you want to be in college because you really get to try new things all the time you can say okay i'm going to be really nice to this person and see if i can be an effective leader to them or i'm going to be play, play the dictator role and see if that's going to move people along and so ken meisner the the chaplain here he like leaned into me yesterday and he said you're a lot more stiff than you used to be and it is something and <laughs> maybe that's what he calls mature people but um because i went on a trip with him my freshman year which i mean you're hanging out with a freshman and i understand now but like, I was just loud, and I was, like, explosive, and you're just so excited to be with everything. And then life hits you, and you're, 
I mean, you can still be a child, but you you also know like there's expectations. You need to allow other people to talk. I still maybe don't do that as well as I should, but um, yeah, you learn these like sometimes depressing developmental skills that you realize that like the world isn't fully rolling around you, and you have to you have to hone in some of your explosive um, ideas, as you say. So when you're talking about being sure of everything. Well, being sure of it was just simply me, like, just yelling it out and, like, saying, this is what's going to happen now. And and now it's more of, like, if it's going to happen, like, I've got to make it happen or it's not going to roll out. You know, like, if no one's going to read, i got to make sure no one's reading, you know, <laughs> which is obviously an impossible task. But there's other things that I yelled out throughout my four years that I was able to push and guide um, to be that. So yeah. I agree that there is an insane amount of maturity you want. That and that's that a value that we didn't talk about the first, but it is a really, really great value because you can mature over four years and during these years, no matter what, if you're not in college or if you're in college, but you're not going to mature in the same way and you're not going to have the options that you had. Like if you're, in, if you come straight out of high school going into the workforce, you can't just choose one day to be like insanely crazy. And then the next day you're going to be a dictator and the next day you're going to be that um, but in college, you can do that. One year, you can really try out one thing, and the next year, you can. So, yeah, there's a there's a better maturity rate, and I, that's something that's probably not studies on, but or maybe there is. But it does. I agree. I don't know. I'm. Yeah, I could talk I, about it. I, I would propose that we do that study. Mm. I think that would be interesting. <laughs> how 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 do we how do we evaluate um, maturity. maturity rate? Over four years. Well, let's, let's look at segue. freshmen and look at seniors. <laughs> let's let's segue for a second into another sort of key issue associated with the value of higher education, and that is this whole question of whether or not higher education is the great equalizer. And by the great equalizer, uh, what I mean really is it, it's it's the leveler. It's the thing that sort of brings together those who come out of lower socioeconomic status, higher second socioeconomic status, brings them together and sort of balances them out in terms of possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it has been, higher education has been argued to be one of the key factors in breaking the cycle of poverty uh, in our nation. And um, I, I did locate an article a May 3rd article in the New York Times written by uh, Pulitzer Prize winner Tina Rosenberg, who wrote, Higher education, once seen as the nation's great leveler, has become a guardian of class division and privilege in America. That's an interesting sort of provocative statement. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious, uh, Michael, from, from your perspective, whether or not you see higher education as sort of that that key factor in or a key factor maybe not the key factor a key factor in in sort of balancing out and leveling out uh opportunity let's be honest higher education in america started for the elite and Mm -hmm. was for the elite for most of our history quite frankly it wasn't until the advent of the pell grant program in the 50s that uh, the government kind of recognized what you just said. Is this a great equalizer or not? Or said differently, does education not benefit, does an education, an educated populace not benefit the nation as a whole? And, you know, the federal government, God love them, probably doesn't do something unless it's in its own self-interest. 
And so how does it how does education help America beyond all the things we've talked about? Um, higher salaries mean higher tax brackets for its citizens, which means more tax dollars coming into the federal government and so on and so on. Um, in terms of the great equalizer, I think what gets lost here, and we've hit upon this a little bit, is if you cross the finish line, it can be a great equalizer. Mm-hmm. But access to college is not equal, as that article and others clearly talk about. We also have to say the media spends more time talking about the top 1% of institutions of higher education in yes. America than they do the other 99%. All of our focus are on the Ivies and near Ivies and the like. Mm-hmm. That's the wrong group to focus on, in my opinion, if we're talking about society at large. We need to be talking about the, the Buena Vista universities and the University of uh, um, Nebraska at Omaha and all others You know that often gets lumped into this no-name category, but that's where the bulk of people are going to college. And where differences are really made and that great equalizer is realized. Mm. Can you offer maybe a, a, a quick story, Michael, of um, anyone you've worked with who you've actually seen that borne out? You don't have to use names. Just sort of describe to us an example of where you might have seen some of that happen. Well, I, yeah, one immediately comes to mind, um, an individual who – an individual, and, and there are many of these here and across the country, who is the first in their family to ever go to college, much less earn a degree. And, you know, in any given year, our freshman class will have about 40% who are coming from families where there is not a college degree in the history, who, you know, prospects prior to going to college were lower paying jobs or staying on the family farm. I'm not saying that is a lower paying job. Mm-hmm. Um, but college gives them the opportunity then to rise above the socioeconomic status that they were, that they grew up in, mm-hmm. and to watch those students cross the finish line, uh, and more importantly, watch their parents watch them cross the finish line. You don't see any prouder individuals especially if you compare those to the third and fourth generation college educated where mm. this was just the expectation yeah. from birth. Right. Yeah. 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 Are you you're not a first generation. I am. I'm the I'm the first for a bachelor's. My my mother got an associate's degree that she doesn't okay. use at all. Okay. Uh, okay. So it'll be a first for a bachelor's which I mean is the thing it was not an expectation. Um I easily could have just said nope, not going to college. I'm going to just do whatever I want to do and life is good. And so I think it will be, I think my situation will fall right under that where um, there's only one associate's degree in my entire family. And um, and all of my siblings that have, I mean, they're all half siblings, but none of them have went, they went straight into either having a child or, um, you know, just going straight into a, a nine to five job. And so that it'll be interesting um, when, when I walk through that, as we're calling it the finish line, call it the arch, whatever you want to call it. Um, because it is something, and it is equalizing. Even looking at, I never looked at in high school. I did. Um, I never looked at social. I never looked at ec- economical levels. In I never saw that person was like, wow, they're good. They're successful because they have money or anything like that in college, which I think is great um, for somebody that does come from a low income family. I've always looked at everyone and just never even thought about 
oh, they came from a rich family, they came from a poor family. It does seem like that is just thrown out the window. And maybe I'm narrow-sighted with my horse guiders on, but I never thought, man, that's the reason why. And in fact, I feel very, very successful. And I, yeah, and I don't have that economical back, backing. So on that side yeah. of things, yeah. when you're in, inside of the field. Curious how you might respond to this thought. And, and it's one of the issues with persistence of students who are first-generation college-bound and or lower socioeconomic levels. When they start to stumble a little bit in college and they reach back to their families for support, those families who don't have the experience have a harder time supporting that student uh, emotionally. I'm not even talking financially mm -hmm. here. And I don't know if you experience that or, or not, but I see too often families allowing their kids to kind of come on home because it got tough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I feel very different because of the drive that I have. I, I can think of, I can probably count on my one hand the amount of times that I ever looked back at my family. I look back, I look back a lot now on my, my social group. I don't, even, I don't even really exteriorize outside of the college now. Um, although I've never been a hugely family person just because we've all been so sporadic in how our life is. I would agree, though, that they, they wouldn't be able to financially help. Like, if I ever came to the point where, like, a scholarship got canceled or I dropped a scholarship, I would have to just genuinely just go back home. And I never had a time where they were like, you could just stop and life is good. Um, so I wouldn't say that, that that happened with me, but there's not really a level of keep going. There's not, like, a hurrah sitting back at home. I think they're just like, I'm surprised he's still going and life is good. You know, but I'm... But I would argue that I've seen plenty of students who were in that in that boat, Michael, where they're the first to go to college and they, they run into a major stumbling block. Maybe it's an academic stumbling block. They failed their first class or they failed a couple of classes. Um, time management, if you have no idea mm -hmm. how to do this, is really – it's hard for some people. And so they've hit – They've hit an academic stumbling block. They've maybe hit a social stumbling block. Um, they've hit financial aid issues and don't know how to handle them. Um, have no idea even when to file certain sorts of forms, that kind of thing. And ultimately, when they reach back to their parents, their parents are like, oh, I don't know what you're supposed to do. Maybe you should just come home and, and work for the hardware store here in town. They're advertising. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I have definitely seen that. I feel like um, we're told one thing uh, via the media, via, gosh, word of mouth about what a the value of a college education is. And then there's sort of the reality. So I think we're told, by and large, that college guarantees a job, mm -hmm. uh, a job that pays well, <laughs> okay? A job that you could be passionate about, want to get out of bed in the morning to do. Um, it guarantees debt, and it guarantees <laughs> lifelong friends. Okay, these are these are the things that we hear all the time. And I think the reality is that co a college degree guarantees, at least from my perspective as a professor, opportunities to experiment, time to grow. So that four years is pretty pretty important for the maturity issue. Mm -hmm. Academic challenge, but only if you choose to take it. Okay? And better odds. 
about all that job stuff. Any reactions to any of that? Absolutely. I agree with you. It provides opportunity or opens doors. So I have a master's degree. I know I've gotten job interviews simply because at the end of my name are the two little letters that say MA. Same way other jobs open up if you have a BA. Said differently, if you don't have a degree or degrees, those doors never open for you. The one I really want to talk about, though, is debt. And it's, a, it's an interesting one that does not get much play in the media. And you all might be surprised to know that those on average with the lowest college debt have the highest default rates. Or th said differently, those with the most debt have the lowest default rates. So hmm. why is that? Well, those who borrow the most tend to have accumulated even greater debt as they went on to graduate or professional school, and they come out then with higher salary potential. So those, those are your, your um, doctors and, and what have you. Huge debt, but huge earning potential. Mm -hmm. Those with the lowest debt, those under $10,000 of debt, have the highest default rates. Why? Because they, they are the ones who have tended to drop out of college, have not elevated their earning potential, and so they return to their communities with the prospects of relatively low-paying jobs and thus not, not the financial ability to repay what the rest of the world might think of as relatively low debt. It does make sense to me. Um, and I think debt's always... I, that does seem like that always seems to be the thing that people like hold over the idea of a college education is that well you're gonna come out with more debt and that's what that's what's genuinely like kind of frustrating me a little bit is whether the value equals the money value um, I'm not hugely in debt but I mean it's enough to last many years and I'm talking to two people that know exactly what I'm talking about but um, with the things that we've talked about, I feel like we've kind of resulted in the fact that maybe the debt is worth it. I mean, you mature more, you're happier, you have a, I mean, you have the chance for, I wouldn't say that it guarantees you, I mean, we're talking about guarantees, it doesn't guarantee you a job, nor does it guarantee you a job in your field that pays well, uh, but you have a, you have, I mean, your odds are like tripled or quadrupled the ability to, and and hopefully I'll be able to prove that factor. You will. But I'll come back on next week and mm. say, by the way, Zach got a job. Finally, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about our own experience. So, Andrea, we, when we got out of school of our respective programs, we were probably 30000 or so dollars in debt. But we've been able to buy houses, yep. get car loans, raise a child, et cetera, because we had the degrees and because that opened up opportunities for us that wouldn't have been there otherwise. And while some months were harder to make those payments than others, overall it was not crippling. Mm -mm. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, and from my perspective, and, you know, keep in mind, this is 30 years later, Michael and I just acknowledged that we graduated from college yesterday or the day before, 30 years ago. Um, it was our 30-year anniversary from um, graduating from college. And um, in the ensuing 30 years post-college, I think we've both come to the fact that that was the best investment we ever could have made um, in our lives. Uh, the value is so far exceeds, so far exceeds what we actually put into it financially, um, that the financial investment was just that. It was a total investment in our future. But, you know, that's 30 years of hindsight. That's that's mm. that's a perspective that you can't possibly have right now, mm -hmm. Mr. Millennial. 
Um, you can't have that because you you haven't you're in the midst of it right now. There's there's this sort of literally murky future mm-hmm. that you're not sure what you're facing after you do walk through that arch tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I I get that. That's there's therein lies the difference. And there are leaps of faith that happen. Uh, see if you remember this story or not. But when mm-hmm. we graduated college, we had three hundred dollars between us, yeah. and I went to the bank and took out a three hundred dollar loan. That was first and last month's rent on our first apartment together. And you were working in a bookstore ultimately, but didn't have that job secured at that moment. I had the prospect of a three-month summer job, and that was it. Oh, I had a part-time job as a copy editor, too. I had forgotten that. So, I mean, our our post-graduation income was not secure at all, and Mm -hmm. we took on more debt, but took a leap of faith that uh, we put in the work. And good things would happen, and we kept after it. And, and it did. It, it did. It was a slow rise yeah. for both of us, but it's uh, reached a nice crescendo as well. Yeah, but it's not like we we didn't at some point or another during that first year um, in which we were you know, working multiple jobs and you were going to graduate school and all that kind of good stuff. It's not like we never went out to Carlos O'Kelly's and got margaritas and chips and salsa. <laughs> now, that might have been supper, um, but, but by and large, it's not like we didn't have good quality of life even um, when we were kind of living hand to mouth. True. We didn't have health insurance either. No, we did not. <laughs> um, but thank God we were healthy people. We are um, actually well over our allotted time, um, and I guess we were just sort of reveling in the fact that this is our last Attitude Adjustment uh, podcast uh, episode, and we felt like, gosh, it's worth it to extend just a little bit. I think this Mm -hmm. is my own sort of effort to... Can we please, please, mm. please just keep it going, Zach? Hey. Um, I don't, I don't I even know, sure. right? Um, there's mm-hmm. so many other things to talk about with respect to the value of a higher education, and um, I feel like this is a conversation that could happen over, geez, an entire season. Um, and so I do hope that we've inspired uh, audience members to think a little bit about some of that value. I think as a boomer, I'm going to say, um, gosh, it may not be for everybody, but uh, I think that there are so many different things that go into sort of assessing what value actually is. Mm-hmm. And um, value is is uh, basically what you interpret it to be, um, what's important to you. Uh, and I think we've kind of explored that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Zach, I want to thank you for being an amazing partner through um, our exploration of attitude adjustment. I feel like this podcast has been all about the importance of us having civil conversation yes. uh, over coffee about the headlines of today, uh, the political, economic, social issues uh, of the day. And um, I'd just like to leave off our Attitude Adjustment podcast by challenging everyone who's listening to us to think a little bit about what it is to have civil conversation. That happens very little uh, in today, uh, in today's media, especially in this political climate that we're that we're facing at the moment, people forget how to talk um, with each other mm-hmm. and listen to each other. Um, and so, my challenge, of course, is that boomers, millennials, doesn't matter what generation you're coming from, we can, in fact, have great, deep, important conversation um, and do so in a manner that is human. Zach, mm-hmm. I want to thank you um, for this awesome partnership. I would like to thank you right back because it was a. I I seriously wish we would have started so much earlier because I feel like this could have went 
and we could have done a lot more great things. Maybe we'll continue. Maybe it's, we'll maybe we'll. Tr- it won't be in the same manner or in the same room, because um, that would get really expensive after a while. But in some manner, we might, and we'll continue our civil conversations for Absolutely. sure. I'll make no, sure no to call you the that. day that no one is reading anymore. And, and there, and, <laughs> and therein lies um, sort of the great value of higher education: relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, Zach and I have worked together for four years during his college education, and that relationship is not going anywhere but up. Um, we will continue to be friends and contacts and colleagues, and um, I have no doubt that that, in fact, is one of the lasting values of a higher education. I'll pay forty grand for that. Yeah. It, oh, it's <laughs> worth way more than that. <laughs> I agree. All right. This is um, the boomer, Andrea. Um Signing off uh, for the last time, I want to thank Michael France for being our guest today um, in this important conversation. Zach, any last words? Hurrah. (laughs) Indeed. Congratulations. And uh, we won't see you next week, so have a good life. Yeah.